Welcome to the Player 2 Podcast with Sean and Ian, where all we do is games. Hi, welcome back to Season 2, Episode 3 of the Player 2 Podcast. We've got a very special guest with us today. We've got Matt D., our tools developer from Ubisoft. How are you doing today, Matt? Doing terrific. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, not a problem. Um, so today, what we'd like to talk to you about is uh, maybe talk to you about some video game stuff um, and then kind of move into the tools development side, which sounds very interesting, kind of the behind the scenes of the behind the scenes work um, and, you know, go into that kind of thing. It sounds like there's a lot of cool stuff to talk about. But first, I'd like to talk about your history with gaming. Um, sure. You know, where, where, does your, where does your gaming history start, Matt? Well, um, the first video game console that my folks had at home was an Atari 2600. Yeah, uh, I was like three or four back then, so it's been a, it's been a while. But the first real console that I got involved in was uh, definitely the NES. Um, okay. I remember telling my mom when I got the NES that I would never get tired of this machine, and she would and she was laughing. But there you go, still spending time watching streamers <laughs> play the NES. <laughs> right, that's true. Prove the NES wrong. is one of those consoles that like. The, the library is just, it holds up really well. Uh, I think the NES and the Super Nintendo both really hold up well. I think the transition yeah. to 3D is where things started to show their age a little more quickly. But um, the NES games, Super Nintendo for sure, are games you can still enjoy to this day. I mean, right. back then it was just a pure gameplay. You know, that's what that's mm-hmm. all the games were. Um, and you mentioned that I worked at Ubisoft, and back then, during our lunch breaks, we would still play NHL 94 during lunch break, and we had nice. game designers from multiple <laughs> teams come and talk to us, like, why? And because it's just pure gameplay, you know? It's that's good. what I like yeah. about these consoles. Right, right. Well, it's like trying to go and buy a, buy like a supercar, like a, an old supercar. They're, they don't have screens in them. They don't have you know, all these bells and whistles that show their age over time. It's just pure experience. That's an interesting comparison. The classic cars compared to the modern ones. Right. I don't know about you, but I would love, I'd rather have a classic muscle car. Something like you can literally every part there is easily replaceable and easily, easy to fix. It's not as complicated and it's much straightforward. It's just pure experience. For Mustang sure. 76 for me, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's play a little game here, Matt, if you could. Sure. Tell us how old you are in gaming mm-hmm. without telling us how old you are. I know you said you had a 2600, but date yourself with a video game reference. Um. Yeah, that's, uh, that's going to be tricky because like I was saying, I, I started really well. Let's just say my first gaming experience that i remember was playing uh, donkey kong on the atari 2600 that's the nice. first game experience i remember uh, i couldn't understand the gameplay at all <laughs> you know, when i was really <laughs> young but that, that was like uh, the first gameplay experience i remember okay um i know like my first gaming experience i, I want my my first console was the nes i remember being like seven years old and you know, we, we got it all on like camcorder tape, you know, opening up, we got the NES and my parents just bought like 15 different games for it. Wow. And I just remember, I, I remember that so much because it was, it's like the start of basically a passion for the rest of my life, you know? And I remember getting games like uh, Rygar 
Burger Time, um, you know, the original Super Mario Brothers, um, all that stuff. And it's definitely stuck with me over the years. Even the memory of just getting that stuff on Christmas morning was just a huge game changer for my life. Right. So actually, it's funny to say that because I can actually still remember the smell of the fold-out poster from the box. You know, <laughs> it's still, it's true, you know, it's it's still there, you know, that 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 sensation yeah. of opening it up and, uh, yeah. So, so I guess there, So Matt, is there an experience that then maybe you can date way back to where you go, you know, th this was my launching off point, my original inception of the idea that I wanted to do something in the gaming industry? Ah, that's a very interesting question. I guess uh, I guess RPGs were the f the thing that got me thinking about uh, game design the most. Okay. So, for example, uh, when I first played Final Fantasy One on the NES, I thought that's th I want to be part of that. I want to be uh, involved in making games like that, where yeah. uh, there's a story being being like like the, the narrative of it and everything, and. Funny enough, you know, I'm I'm French Canadian, and I learned my English a lot because of video games, uh, and okay. later learned that most of the translation from Japanese games were just horrible. <laughs> but, but still, um, I always so, think of that all your base are belong to us, for example, or a winner is you, right? From the uh, pro wrestling game, yeah, right. <laughs> There's a number of them these days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, in, in terms of more modern games, games that are out. Now, are there any games that stand out to you that you, you just play them or you see them and they epitomize what real gaming should be for 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 the people of like our generation where we grew up, you know, born on a different console. But now there's a certain game out there that just says, OK, this is what it's all about. Definitely. And, and that's interesting as well, because um You know, it's it's it sounds like every beer expert ended up drinking, you know, homebrew beers and stuff like that. And for <laughs> me, for video games, it, it, it actually turned out to be this way because, um, you know, games like Hades, for example, was such an amazing uh, game. I tend to stick to indies, not by... Not not because I, I'm smug about it or anything, but that's really where I get I get the fun out of video games nowadays, and it's not surprising because when you see the size of a production floor uh, in the in the AAA games, when they make these games, you know, monetization is part of the core of the design. Right. It has to be because those games are so expensive to make. So, so that's one thing that we don't see as much uh, in indie games where, again, it's it's more about gameplay than finding ways to sell skin packs or, or whatever. Mm, more uh, passion not, in the project almost. Yeah, exactly. So when you're building a game, let's take, for example, um, let's take an Assassin's Creed because I, work for, I worked at Ubisoft. Um, it's really hard to say, you know, we're going to build some completely different and original gameplay because, you know, those games are so expensive to make. So you have to make them as accessible as possible. Uh, so that's just the nature of building a triple A or Hollywood movie or, or a pop, pop music or whatever, you know, that, that's, that's all intertwined to some extent. Um, so for me, it's, it's still in the indie uh, scene that I try to find original gameplay. I just recently bought uh, Dicey Dungeons, for example. I'm a okay. huge uh, um, Darkest Dungeon fan, Slay the Spire. You know, those are the games I play the most when I'm not playing retro games, obviously, because that's right. another part uh, <laughs> that I still do today. Right. Um, so, yeah, I've heard of Darkest Dungeon. I haven't played it yet. I, I think they I've just been... came out with a new one. 
Yeah, yeah, the new one just came out not too long ago. I know I've been into games like um, Forager, uh, Shady Part Mm -hmm. of Me, um, you know, different games like those, ones that tell a unique story um, that you just don't find in AAA games much anymore. Um, It seems like AAA games are supposed to be big theatrical experiences, whereas with indie games, you can get much more intimate and a much more sincere, personalized story from them. Right. They can take risks. You know, for me, that's mm-hmm. uh, that's the basis of it. They can try to invent new gameplay. They can try to invent new things because, you know, that's how they're going to get out of a... Uh, because let's say that the market is very saturated right now. So so if you want to get noticed uh, and you're not a AAA game, then you're going to need something unique. Yeah. Um, and even then... Out. How many games on Steam are there? You guys think oh. that are unique that nobody knows about? Still, oh, you know? a mess of them. I know. Oh. I just I just started playing uh, the Rift Breaker, and yeah. the Rift Breaker doesn't do anything new. It just does it so well, and they've brought in a couple of different mechanics. But I, I mean, I find myself I, I gravitate I think to AAA games more for like the fleshed out stories and the actors that they can get for those types of roles where some of these indie games I find myself gravitating to for like mechanics and gameplay ideas that you've just never seen before. Yeah, I agree because actually I bought Guardians of the Galaxies recently because a friend of mine was worked on it for many, many years. And I said, you know what, I'll, I'll get it. You know, <laughs> I'll right. encourage you this way. <laughs> and this game is, is, is great, but, there's no gameplay in there. I've been playing a cutscene for the past three hours, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's fine. It's fine because, like you're saying, the visuals are outstanding. Right. Um, the 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 actors are great. You know, everything's great about it. Except I'm not actually playing it. Right. Perfect just, example it's of like a major game. movie at that point. Right. Yeah, pretty much. And it's it's fine. I mean. Again, you know, uh, to each his own. Um, I, I hope it does well because it's been it's done in Montreal. So there you go. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, working at Ubisoft, you know, mm-hmm. pretty much everything they release at this point, you can call a AAA game. A masterpiece, if you ask me. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what I'm going to talk about right here. Okay. Sure. <laughs> this is sure. exactly what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> there is a large community of people playing games. Now, when it comes to Ubisoft, I feel there are only two sides to this coin. There are people that love Ubisoft games, and there are people that hate Ubisoft games. There doesn't seem to be any in-between. And I, I, I don't know if I'm wrong on that, but I, I typically say, I typically see people say, I love this game, this game, this game, this game. They're all Ubisoft. Or I hear them say, I hate this game, this game, this game, this game, and they're all Ubisoft. I don't hear a whole lot of in between at Ubisoft. Is that is that a fair statement to say? Definitely, <laughs> definitely. I I feel that that way as well. You know, because um, uh, I, when I before joining Ubisoft, I was not a Ubisoft games fan at all. Um, I, it just didn't stick with me. I I played uh, Assassin's Creed. The first one was exceptional because it was, you know, they they just built a new industry standard back then. So you had to play it uh, just 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 to get a feel of what would be possible in video games after that. Right. Uh, but I was never into. Um, it was a lot of uh, Ghost Recon and stuff like that before, and that really wasn't my jam. 
Um, I started paying more attention to them once I started seeing behind the scenes, actually. And the complexity and the love and the labor that went that goes into making these games is just insane. So, of course, when you read stuff online, like saying, they just don't care, you can be further from the truth, you know? Right, right. <laughs> There's blood and sweat in these, in these games, uh, for sure. But, yeah, it seems to be very polarized, for sure, uh, the fan base uh, of those. And, and people are extremely critical of, of uh, Ubisoft, especially if you go into the uh, Rainbow Six um, oh, yeah. clientele. You know, <laughs> these guys are really, really hard on Ubisoft. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I suppose they've got some pretty stiff competition that they need to, you know, be able to hold their own against in terms of that genre of games too, that, you know, for better or worse, you know, holding Ubisoft to that high standard is maybe, you know, coming from a place of love as well, just because. Well, when you mix in the the competitive side of things too. Yeah. They they wanted to be, they wanted to be successful and they wanted to be able to, you know, to stand up a game against games like Battlefield or Call of Duty and that kind of stuff in t- in terms of like the war style games. But yeah, it might come from a place of love. It might come from a place of, you know, disdain. But I, I think like for me, I love the Assassin's Creed series. Um, I, I've loved pretty much every installment that I've played with the exception of one, but um you know, <laughs> Black Flag. I was not a fan of Black Flag, yeah. even though oh, really well, yeah. well voiced on that's Black surprising. Uh, yeah, I think I, I've said this probably. I've probably said this on every single episode of this podcast that Assassin's Creed Four or Black Flag did not feel like an Assassin's Creed game. It felt like a really good pirate game, and that seems to be a very common consensus for the people who didn't like it. Um, was that it was a great pirate game, but it wasn't a great Assassin's Creed game. That's uh, that's amazing because little did you know, I actually worked on uh, Skull and Bones. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! No, <laughs> for a few years. So. Um, and and it was all about the love for Black Flag. You know, not not my personal love because I didn't really play that game before. But the reason why this game exists is well is. In development still is because of Black Flag, because of people yep. wanted more of the sea shanties. They wanted more of the naval th- stuff. So. And that, that doesn't surprise me. Black Flag, I know Sean's always been very critical of it. I, I again, as I said before, or I didn't quite state, but I've stated in other podcasts, is I am a sucker for Ubisoft. I mm-hmm. will be at the front of most of those lines. Uh, but Black Flag was one of those games that felt like it, it was using, they put the, um, the naval bit of it in there almost as like a test bed, or at least that's what it felt like, especially after Skull and Bones came out because it was such a uh, very similar aspect to what they did with Black Flag. But I heard it was very, very good. I never played Skull and Bones myself, but I heard it was a good recreation. It's not done actually yet. Oh. It's, it's still it's still in development. So you probably saw like previews and a ton yeah. of videos about it. I know I've, so, I've heard um, the name for about a year now. Pretty. Oh strong. yeah, for sure, for more than that. But the thing with Skull and Bones is, um, you know, I I was being a little unfair saying that AAA don't take risks because this game is a huge risk. You know, <laughs> having a, a a pirate naval fight be fun in the pad you know that's an expression i heard a lot on on one of my producers friend you know the fun has to be in the pad right it's it's very complicated to make to make something like that fun and um 
and they were re- willing to to scrap stuff completely and start over until we get it right, you know. And and that's a huge risk they take every time. Every time they delay it, it's because they're not satisfied with it and they want it to be better, you know. Right. Uh, and this game has been pushed back uh, quite a few times. You know, I moved to Ubisoft Singapore in Asia back in 2016, and I was there to help finish the game, basically, <laughs> more or less. So, um, but. But yeah, I mean, but it was so great to be, uh, you know, embedded with all the 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 the, the pirate stuff actually uh, in the game. You know, the, the the upcoming sea shanties and everything. You know, it was very very fun project to work on for sure. Cool, that's very cool. Do you do you feel that um, a lot of game studios now are uh, paying a little bit more attention to the games they're releasing after like the debacle that was Cyberpunk? or like No Man's Sky, where these games that get so much attention, they come out and then they get absolutely trashed. Do you feel that game studios are trying their hardest to not make that kind of mistake and have uh, that blemish on their record? Definitely. Well, I mean, the projects, I, I can only talk about the project I've been on. Yeah. Um, and definitely, definitely because, um, and not only because of that, because also keep in mind that the back catalog also brings good revenue to companies. So, so when you make a flop, you make you don't only really make it for the year of its release. You make a flop for many many years to come, where something could have brought in a lot of revenue, and you just scrapped it. So yeah, uh, I I can say that for sure because I also worked on a cancelled project at Ubisoft um, that you know then. They felt they never managed to get the fun in the pad. After a few years, they said, "You know what? We're just not going to release that. We're not. We're not happy with it." So, so they do burn a ton of money to make sure that what gets on the shelves um, has been worked hard on for sure. So, I guess, um, kind of having been on the inside and stuff, um, whether you've been a part of a of a flop or something, something that gets heavily criticized, especially by like um, it's user base um using kind of cyberpunk as a really drastic example but how do you you feel even though you may not be involved with say the gameplay that gets criticized or the music that gets criticized or whatever have you but do you see it or feel it when these studios these these teams of people get you know almost attacked when a team is somewhat you know quote unquote responsible for what happened with the game uh, the, yeah, that's a good question because actually, by the you know um, the people that work on Cyberpunk, if you were using that example, I'm pretty sure they knew out of the box what was going to happen. You know, so it, I don't think it was a, a, a shock for anybody at, out there that actually played it because you have QA uh, that are so uh, usually they're so so good at telling you you know where the game is doing something wrong. So they knew they had a, a backlog of of thousands and thousands of bugs, you know? So, so, so I guess they weren't, they shouldn't have been surprised anyway by, by the end result. But yeah, of course these things affect us, but usually, not most of the time, but usually what happens as well is that when a game gets released and it's a flop, there's probably there, it's likely that something was wrong on that production floor as well. Um, It's, I'd be surprised how often, a, a, a flop gets released and to see how was the, the ambiance on the floor, it was probably, uh, pardon my French, it was probably shit, you know, <laughs> that, that, that's, that's the truth of it. Like the, like almost down to the level of like a manager employee oh, yeah. relationships. Oh, yeah. wow. One thing I always told my team is um, if you're not having fun making a game, how is it going to translate in the game? You know, right. you have to have fun making it. True. 
And I, I think that's another reason why, uh, or a good example is why indies speak to so many people too. You can tell some of these people had a lot of fun making a game and then you can tell the games where, you know, the sun, the fun was kind of sapped from the room as they were making it. Definitely. Definitely. So, but so yeah. when you guys, when they're making games at Ubisoft, now the game developers will use, I assume it's some kind of proprietary software overlaid over like the functionality of an engine. Is that kind of how it works? So um, this is all things I can actually talk about because I checked online to see if it was public information before talking. To oh, you oh so, okay. <laughs> so um, yeah, so so when you make a game, you have to ask yourself: Are you are we going to make tech, or are we making a game, or both? Making both is ridiculously expensive. You know, when you hear like, "Hey, they're building their own engine for that game," whoa, yeah, that's yeah, like, that's crazy. So at Ubisoft, the project I worked on, we used um, uh, an, a game engine called uh, Scimitar that was used for Prince of Persia up to Assassin's Creed, the latest Assassin's Creed. And on top of that, there's a game editor uh, called Anvil, and that's where uh, the tools team uh, mostly focus on. So we're not engine programmers we're we're the guys that works uh on top of the engine to make sure that um the the features of the engines are exposed somewhere in the editor for artists and whomever so like uh, a ui developer almost in a way yeah exactly so would a good comparison be you know you've got say obs are you uh -huh. familiar with obs absolutely uh, then you've got streamlabs obs now will the tools developers be the ones taking OBS and then putting that Streamlabs UI on top of the OBS functionality and the programming. Yes, that except be a fair in this comparison. Case, yeah, except in this case, it's an editor over an editor. You know, right? Okay. In, in that case, um, so so for us, um, let's say that there a new console gets released uh, and they want to add a, a new functionality to the game. Uh, and it has to be exposed in the editor, then it's us that will uh, do that hook, uh, more or less. But that's very uh, a very clumsy way of explaining it. Mostly what we did in our teams was, um, I don't know if that was your follow-up question, I'm sorry. No, <laughs> go ahead. Um, is that we work with all departments uh, on the floor and make sure that everything talks to another system. So let's say, for example, the texture guys are working in Photoshop to build their textures. Well, how is that texture being transferred to the game engine or to another art department? You know, you don't want them to be like putting files on a network drive and say, go get it there. So we will always build these pipelines between departments to make life their lives easier. Um, so for example, it's, um, we used to work with technical directors a lot where their role is to be the technical people of a department. So you have tech artists in sound, tech artists in, in, uh, in art. Um, and these guys would tell us, well, uh, right now, my guys, they, 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 they have to click at 20 different places just to do something simple. Can you guys help? And we come in and we simplify the process for them as much as possible. Oh, sure. um, so that's one of our roles. Interesting. That's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah it, it is. And um, like I was saying earlier, I think it was pre-show, is that it's a good position to avoid the crunch hours <laughs> as well, because by the time uh, you're crunching, well, it's too late. It's usually too late to ask us for anything to make your life easier because you're 
you're you're you know you're you're caught in the middle of the race and asking us to refill your horse as you're <laughs> riding it. <laughs> right. It's too late. Yeah, that that ship is too. Like you, you got to work with what you got now. It's yeah. You get so you guys almost sideline cheerleading exactly. at that point. Like, come on, we can do it. Yeah. And we did stay at the <laughs> office. We did stay. Uh, okay. Some of us did stay even during the crunch time as moral support and just make sure, <laughs> well, I, my PC is some, there's something wrong. And we would just stay with them. And that's fine. And that's perfectly fine. But we weren't the ones that were uh, dying out there. And and I apologize to other tools programmers from other companies <laughs> because maybe it's different. But on, on, on my floor at Ubisoft, that's pretty much how it went uh, most of the time. Time. But the role can be very different from from one company to another. Uh, have sure. you have you gotten to experience a role in other companies, or has it just been Ubisoft so far for you? Uh, it's just been Ubisoft so far for me. Okay. And but I have friends that work at ADOS. I have friends that work at oh my god, Epic now because you know all the game companies right now are in Montreal. Basically, it's like right. it's insane the amount of game companies that just come and settle in Montreal right now. So. Um, I get to hear a little bit th their stories uh, as well, and it's 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 somewhat similar. Oh, okay, okay. So, what is it about Montreal then? Is there just is that just a place to be? It's like everybody's air. moving out of. <laughs> it's the air. <laughs> it's the winter. People uh, don't mind working because they have to stay inside anyways. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, uh, to be honest, mm, winter it's, in Montreal. <laughs> yeah, it's. I, I don't like that term, but we're we're seeing that as the. Cheap labor of the north, basically, no, uh, sure. because uh, the, the the salaries uh, are not as expensive as in <laughs> California or even other parts of the right. U.S. for sure. And at the same time, the government is very very lenient and helps uh, finance these companies a ton, a oh, ton, a ton. Sure. So mm. our a lot of our salaries actually comes from the government, you know. Uh, huh. So um, so that helps a lot, and 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 that's that's what attracts a lot of people to uh, to move here. And uh, you know, I see I've seen quite a few uh, Americans, Australians, or you know, from all over the world work at Ubisoft Montreal. You know, that's that's. Uh, I mean, I think we're like we were like five thousand employees in Ubisoft Whoa. Montreal at some point. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know every one of them by name, right? No, and and it's funny because there, there's there's that thing, right? Like, oh, you live in Canada? Do you know Steve? No, but the yeah. same thing with Ubisoft. <laughs> like, like, oh, you work at Ubisoft? Do you know this or that person's like? No, it's like a small town. Ubisoft Montreal is like a small town. You, yeah. you won't know uh, everybody. That's just impossible. More um, people work at Ubisoft Montreal than live in the town that I live in. Like five. There times. you like, go. <laughs> my town is a thousand people, and I don't know everybody. Well, yeah, well, I don't you know five everybody. Times bigger than my town. There you go. So oh, um, yeah, it, it is. But uh, I had a ton of fun working uh, working there uh, it you know they're they're getting a bad press right now with with a lot of uh, different scandals that's really a shame because it's such it, it is a great employer anyways i, I had fun uh, working there for sure good you said ubisoft is getting some flack right now yeah with uh well a lot of gaming companies right now we're getting they're like yeah, about uh, mm. s some uh, sexual harassment allegations. Yeah. Oh, like that, that. Yeah, started with yeah, that. Yeah, they, they okay. have a lot of uh, of cleaning up to do. Um, so hopefully they'll get uh, everything in order. But so uh, the thing with Blizzard just kind of kind of reverberated through all the other studios as well. Then 
Definitely, definitely. Okay. There's there's a ton of room for improvement on how uh, some employees are treated. Either it's your sexual orientation or it's your just just being a man or a woman on the floor. You know, there's there's a lot of it. But but there, I sincerely believe they are working on it. But there's a ton of room for improvement as well. Yeah, sure. Well, good. I'm yeah. I'm kind of glad it made some waves in a healthy manner because I know Activision got really creamed on a lot of it, but they had it kind of coming. But I, I had heard it had boiled down to like Ubisoft and EA and a couple other companies. But I, I don't necessarily ever think they've ever been doing anything inherently wrong. But it's never a bad time to change for the better, especially for your employees' sake. Definitely. And I wonder if, um, you know, if, if the gaming industry is one of the first industries where, where well, maybe I'm being naive there, but I, I feel like maybe other industries will follow up saying, you know, enough is enough. You know, I see these guys in gaming, uh, these guy, guys and girls actually doing this in gaming. Maybe our, our industry should have a, a cleanup as well, you know? So right. gaming is in the radar right now, but I wouldn't be surprised that other companies follow soon. Right. Movie companies and for you know, example, music yeah. companies. There's all sorts yeah. of them. So mm -hmm. we'll, we'll see. So time will tell, I guess. Right. Yeah. So sure. uh, do you think so, it's, yeah. a, it's just something? I mean, obviously, it's, uh, you know, the sexual harassment and the discriminations and all that stuff is not unique to video games or the entertainment industry in general. Mm -hmm. But. I think that the entertainment industry is the highest profile industry to be able to make a change and make waves across multiple industries. I right. think that's definitely, I mean, if it was going to happen, you, you want to make the biggest splash. And I think the entertainment industry is for sure the biggest splash. Oh yeah. Especially in today's culture where it's just all consumption. <laughs> yeah, for sure, and and I, I totally agree with what you're saying, and 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 so far, um, if I can piggyback on that, it's one of the reason why I like the retro community so much on Twitch and whatever. We seem to be a very very open minded and and accepting community. I think that's one of the mm -hmm. reasons why I like it. I like it there so much. Right. I absolutely agree. I, I I don't think I have encountered any retro streamer that is just pure toxicity yeah, i think big that or, yeah. just about every retro streamer that i've watched has been very accepting very friendly and very open to helping people and to help people grow um so that that's i i, I completely agree with you there the mm -hmm. the retro community is just very wholesome and very inclusive yeah yeah definitely um, if you don't mind, I got a few more questions here about the sure, tool sure. stuff. Uh, not to completely change lanes <laughs> here again, but uh, so I'm curious if so when you're doing work on a game, yes, do you start from scratch with each game, or do you take what you've done and move it from game to game and just keep adding to it? How how does that how does that work? You know, across multiple games and multiple engines. So that's a very, very interesting question, and it's it's not one that has a, a short and a easy answer. It's it's, it's it depends uh, from even from one Assassin's Creed to another. Um, the engine can be quite a bit different, mm -hmm. um, uh, especially because like like anywhere, this one is built in Montreal, while the other one is built in Quebec City. The other one is built I don't know uh, where else, uh, Toronto, for example. But they're doing mostly Watchdogs, so. Mm -hmm. 
it's not built from scratch every time. Definitely not. Um, but uh, a lot, a lot of it gets uh, remade. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like going from like an Assassin's Creed one to an Assassin's Creed two, you, you yeah. carry over kind of the bones of what you've made, but then you tailor them to the to be updated and oh, add for sure in that, and that sense. Kind of thing. Yeah, in that sense, for sure. I mean, what what's going to happen is that you're going to take, you know, all the physics that you've been working on, all the shaders, and all of that will be transposed in the in the next game for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, but even even if you're doing that, it still requires a ton of people every time right. sure. uh, to 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 do these games, and especially Assassin's Creed. I mean, it's on the on production peak. I don't know how many people, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was up to a thousand people working on the same game. You know. Uh, Oh yeah, Got my um, whole town working on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. But uh, but yeah. So I know that, like for example, uh, Ubisoft Singapore did parts of um, uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I think they did some of the islands there or whatnot. Sure. And meanwhile, you have another. I don't know. Could be like in in Bucare- Bucharest, another part of the game is being done. So it's very also. There's people working on your game twenty four hour for sure. That's for sure. Interesting. So uh, on the, the tool development side of things this is always one of my favorite things to ask is uh, what is your least favorite bit of, of being a tool developer? Um, well, uh, let me think here for a second. <laughs> it's, it's a broad question. It can be a broad answer. Um, it's, it's always fun fun to hear what the, the goods and the bads are of the, the core so, yeah, sometimes what is the hardest part for us could be the, the resistance to change. Um, let's say that you have people that have been working on, on making a game a certain way for the past 15 years, and you bring up this tool and say, hey, you guys should be using that. That's going to be much faster. It's going to be easier on the engine. Yep. And, the, and then you get like this, these folded arms people <laughs> saying, well, I don't think I should be using that. You know, I've been doing that for many years. And you would think that being a technology company and everything that people would be more open to change, but that's just not true. You know, that some people are very adverse to change, even if they're in, in this industry. So so for me it would be it would be building stuff that um, you know, doesn't end up being used. And uh, the last game I was working on, uh, Extraction, it's called. It's uh, Rainbow Six Core. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, extraction. Ready for that. Um, <laughs> we, have, we had an amazing tool that I wish I could talk about uh, that allowed uh, level designers to go a lot faster. And, and we got a little bit like, eh, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm used to using this tool and, and yeah. I'm not going to learn yours, you know. So, so, <laughs> so there, there's, there's always that uh, that happens. Uh, I'm talking about level designers, but they're not like a, a, a special entity. Same thing for sound or for, for art or, or whatever, right. you know. Is this, um, so it's more of a uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it mentality with some of these people. But it's all broken. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they you just can, don't know. You know. They just yeah. don't know That's yeah. what a tools guy will tell you. Because <laughs> you, you look at their their workflow and you're like, my God, you know. Uh, and like I was saying, one of the roles of the tools team for me is to make sure the production saves money. So if uh, an artist spends like I don't know, like uh, every day two minutes to relay out his layers and Photoshop a certain way, and we can build a tool that will automate that for him, then multiply that by the number of employees uh, at Ubisoft and every day, and you can save like millions of dollars just by 
by simplifying some workflows. Um, and there, there's something quite exciting about that uh, for our team saying, hey, you know, this thing that used to take you half an hour, now it takes you two minutes. You know, those are the biggest wins for us. You know, when so, you hear people saying that. You... So that kind of, I think that, I think you kind of answered them. My follow-up question to that is, you know, what's your favorite part about it? Is that satisfaction oh, yeah. of, of, well, I mean, I guess saving the money, but the satisfaction of creating something that is saving people time, effort, heartache, whatever it may be. Exactly, because at the same time, the more time you save for them, uh, the more they can polish what they're working on as well. Right. right. So, so instead of, of I'm using that example and just so, just so you guys can get an idea, but instead of re, um, resizing a, 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 either a sprite or resizing a texture. I do it automatically for you and you can focus on what you're good on, which is creating textures, not resizing stuff or or being bothered with a workflow. Right. And in your day, you'll be doing what you love more and you won't have to be bothered with with technicalities that, you know, usually are a pain. And, and a lot of people on the production floor, you guys would be surprised. They're just not that tech savvy, you know. Yeah. So that that's where we come in and try to help as much as we can. So you guys are the uh, the quality of life patch that everybody wants just in the it workplace. Is. Actually, that's funny you should say that because uh, <laughs> quality of life is actually a tag that I put on some of the tasks. <laughs> so, like, so this is just a QOL, you know, quality of life uh, feature for them. Yeah. Um, and when you have a good tools team, uh, the request star starts pouring in as well. Um, the more they see, hey, did you know that the sound team, uh, you know, the tools team accelerated their their this process to that amount of time, and now the the the, the requests will start to, to pour in. But it's also a question of determining where's the most value I can give to to these people as well, you know. So right. that's that's sometimes also something that I don't like. Uh, it, it's the fact that I we just couldn't help uh, everybody on the production floor. Sure. So when you come up with a new idea. Who or like you know a new tool to help people out? Who who do you pitch it to? Do you pitch it to like the production manager? Do you pitch it to just the designers that it affects? How, how does uh how does that go into effect? Um, it can be usually it's going to be a the director of a department. Uh, so okay. um, uh, there's tech art uh, tech tech directors as well, but nor normally I'll go to the to the directors directly because um they're the one that's going to have the most power also to say okay guys this is how we do it from now on. So usually that's the, the, so either it was the, well, maybe not the art director because I don't get to work with them, but the technical directors for sure, like um, like the guys that are, are, you know, they take care of everything that is art related or the level designers, like because I have that example in mind that I tried to steer off because I don't want to talk about it. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, these are the guys that you, you, you try to go to and, and bring value. But rarely do we start building something that was not requested, though. You know, that's, right. the, uh, that's the other thing. Because doing that, you're going to burn yourself for sure. You know, right. you, 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 there has to be constant conversation between different departments. And there's a lot, a lot of dip different departments on the game floor. You know, there's animation. It's not just animation. You have rigging. You have, you know, it's, it's insane the amount of different departments you can have on a AAA uh, production floor. I believe it. Uh, so yeah. you said yeah. that, um, you know, you generally don't develop anything that wasn't requested. So... <laughs> How do you find these ones that, you know, can save that time and money? Do you just say, hey, I noticed that you guys are taking a really long time to do this. I know that I can find a faster way. 
you know, and then say, do you want me to look at it? Or you'd be like, Hey, I've got a $10 million idea right here. Um, you know, do you want me to work on this? Is that, that happens. That happens. happens. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, in the, in the ideal world, we would have uh, the UX, uh, the user experience team working with us and they tell us, you know, I see these guys are taking an hour to do this. Can you guys accelerate that process? You know, that would be the idea, but UX people are not always available and they're not easy to find, especially in in this industry. They're not common at all. So sometimes we have to play uh, UX people. So basically sitting down with different departments and and just watching them work, watching them click around, you know, and and asking them, wait, 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 why are you putting a file there? You know, wait, why why are you clicking there instead of doing this or that? Or did you know that we had a tool that does that, you know? So a lot of it can be like sitting down with the, with, with different departments and and just watching them work, you know, Uh, and then you'll often you'll realize, okay, well, that does not make any sense. But at the same time, to to go back to one of the points you guys were making before, um, you know, when you bring back code from a previous um, Assassin's Creed or whatever from a previous uh, game, yeah. it comes with the issue they had as well. So sometimes right. off the bat, we'll know that okay, this we know for sure that this was a pain in their butt in the previous production. So let's try to make it better. You know, sometimes it goes without saying uh, oh, that sure. there's things that we get to to work on as soon as we can. Um, you know, game developments are, are spread in different phases. Uh, you have uh, the, the creative uh, part, you have, then you move on to pre-prod, and then you move on to prod, and then it's post-prod. Uh, the tools team, sh- it would, we're most busy during pre-production because once the game is in production, every workflow, everything should be in place already at that phase. Sure. And that's, and that's the time where we usually know right off the bat what we need to work on. And once the production is started, now is a good time to sit down and see, you know, where can we help exactly? Gotcha. That makes sense. So for you personally, are are there anything that you're working on for yourself or any any cool things you've got going on that uh, would be interesting to know? Sure. I mean... Um... You know, I've been a manager for too many years and I haven't coded enough. So I reinstalled <laughs> Unity lately and I've been working on some <laughs> on some cool different project in Unity 3D. Okay. Uh, which that is a great editor slash engine, by the way. I've, if I've if you want to learn how to make game, it's it's so it's it's so good. I, I absolutely adore it. Um, so I've been I've been what I did is I, I I added a Twitch layer to to one of the games I was working on, so chat could could play a game I was making. Uh, so I did a, a micro version of Dragon Warrior, uh, and and sitting in the chat, you can actually play the game. Like it's not as as complex or as a normal Dragon Warrior, but you can explore, level up, and uh, and all of these things. And this brought up a ton of new ideas that uh, that I'm currently working on, and I. I if you guys reinvite me at some point, I would love to talk about them when I'm a little bit more advanced. But if you look at Slack Stream, uh, Slack and yep. you know, yeah. you 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 may see it pop up eventually. And maybe if you guys want to talk about that, that would be a that would be a blast as well. Oh yeah, sure. I know. Um, I haven't been able to pop in there very much with the new job and everything, but I was able to actually hang out there a little bit today. And I saw. He, yeah. he's just still plowing away at those damageless runs. <laughs> It seems to be his bread and butter right now, and I, I don't oh, know about man. you, but I could not pull that off. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, it's that's why we we watch and and 
And sometimes, you know, you were asking me about some of the cool stuff I was working on. I've been I've been trying to help him with ROM hacks and stuff like that to to yeah. and read memory to understand how a game functions and whatnot. So uh, I did that for Double Dragon with him. You know, he was looking for some information. So I, I, I pop an emulator and I looked at the memory values and trying to understand how the AI works and stuff like that. Uh, and it's when I'm doing that. And then I was building scripts to have the perfect kick at the perfect time and everything. And you have no, well, maybe you, you guys probably do, but the amount of precision you need to be able to pull off something like double dragon damage list is just absolutely absurd. You know, right. it's, it's ridiculous the amount of precision you need. And and I have a better appreciation for 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 him after doing these scripts and coding these little things um, for him uh, to get a better idea of how games function. Um, here, did he accomplish the damage list double dragon? He did. He did. And he that's did. the one that seemed the most unlikely to me. You know, uh, I know he's struggling with, with, with Ninja Turtles right now and whatnot, but yeah. double dragon is just dumb to be able to do it. <laughs> it just is. Well, I mean, at and, the, time, the time we talked to him, he was coming off a of Ninja Gaiden. And, oh, yeah. And, and that was previously thought to have not been possible. So... Yeah, I was in Double Dragon. He's working on Ninja Turtles One now. Jeez, that atrocity of a game. (sighs) So, (laughs) game is just a nightmare. It is, and um, you know, another thing I've been working on is I've been learning how to code in assembly for for NES as well. You know, working on these ROM acts for 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 uh, Slack and whatnot. I've been I've been relearning how to code in 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 assembly and. I also have better respect for people that manage to code and marry your brothers out of that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that's, that's uh, probably a period where, uh, you know, tools programmer had their work cut out for them, you know, to right. say, because, uh, you know, as you're learning assembly, it's basically, well, if you put that value in this memory slot, well, and you build it, then maybe a red dot will show up on the screen there, you know. <laughs> and then you have an entire game built on that. It's just, it's just total madness. Yeah, um, to to kind of piggyback on the whole like you know memory and the values and all this stuff. I don't know if you heard NES Cardinality um, just got the world record for glitch percentage on the game Platoon. Okay. 0.001 milliseconds. He booted the game up and it went instantly to the end credits because of some <laughs> weird storage memory value when the game booted up. Um, he technically beat the game instantly. Killing it. And so it, it, it was just kind of funny to read up on that. You know, like you read the description, it's just like, uh, this kind of happened and I win. Yeah. Like, you know, like, <laughs> I have the world record and, run now. It's just um, one of those weird, quirky kind of things that just, you know, I guess it happens with the way that the NES games were structured. It seems like right. uh, it's 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 very 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 fragile. Uh, I mean, <laughs> when you <laughs> when you look at it, I'm not surprised that stuff like that will happen. And that's something some things we try to brute force. You know, when I work with with Slack on, on games like Rygar, for example, it's it's stuff we try to brute force. Is there a way to break it so that I get to the end door and <laughs> which which it's kind of silly when you think of it, but man, is it fun? It's it's so much fun. Um, if you guys and, find uh, a way, let me know. I might jump back into that game. Oh, Rygar, <laughs> eh? Yeah. Uh, well, they're they are now using the the broken world as a way to get faster to Rygar. I think. Or, I'm oh, a really? Confu- yeah, I'm a little it's, confused. With it, it's but, been about a year since I've ran. Well, I mean, maybe two years since I've legitimately ran it. But didn't, um, didn't you say you were on the board at one point? 
Um, I was eighth. I think I've been bopped now because every October seems like every regular oh, yeah. streamer is running up Rygar. So now I'm <laughs> I probably been bopped into the teens somewhere. But um, yeah, it's Rygtoberfest, and it seems like everybody's plowing away at Rygar. Now it's Carnovember, kind yeah. of Carnovember or something like that. Car- some Carnov Car- game, Carnovember. Yeah, Carnovember. And I'm like, yeah. I'm the, I, no, I'm okay. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to jump into that game. <laughs> but but, but Platoon, Platoon is an interesting one because as I was watching Ness play it and Arcus, I was like, why? <laughs> you know, why are you playing that game? It's horrible. Uh, anyways, I find it horrible. I mean, I, I, personally, it's, it's like like when a streamer starts playing Urban Champion, for example, I'm like, why? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's Slack, we're talking to you on that one. Yeah, yeah. But, but at the same time, it's, it, it is what it is. I mean, 29 it, second world record on that game. Oh, jeez. And, and you can see the obsession. And I, I did a little bit of speed running myself. I did the Castlevania one. And I think, and I think you prepare to be impressed, guys, but I think I'm 257th uh, on the board. Of, yeah. Yeah, but that's a way, game that's so saturated to even be that high is still an accomplishment. That's like saying I'm 500th <laughs> on the DuckTales board. Well, I mean, everybody and their grandmother runs that game because it's there so you popular, go. you know? Yeah. So, right. And it's very accessible. It's, and a, it's just like the first 200 spots are all within like two seconds of each other. It's like, yeah, I, I, no, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> so. and just just to go back also on the, the game development thing, um, you know, uh, I urge people that want to make games to give Unity 3D a try and just watch tutorials because everybody's a little get a little scared when they st- have to start coding. Mm-hmm. Coding is always the, the, the scary part, but uh, there's so much good stuff out there that I, that if, if anybody's interested in learning how to, to make games, Unity 3D is such a good software. I feel like I'm a spokesperson for them, but I'm really not. Um, <laughs> there's Unreal as well, but Unreal uses C++, which is a little bit more intimidating in terms of a programming language than uh, mm-hmm. Unity 3D. Um, well, I mean, yeah. coming from a tools developer, a guy that basically works with the engine hand in hand, more or less, like what a better promotion, honestly. <laughs> and and it's it, it, yeah so yeah definitely but uh I, I hope to get to be able to show you guys some of the projects i'm working on and it's it's completely silly and dumb like you would expect from <laughs> anybody from the slacks community but uh, i hope i'll be able to show you guys yeah we look forward to it yeah no, definitely look forward to it. you definitely keep me up to date on that and you know we'll definitely promote it as 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 we can so that sounds but, awesome um, I don't have any other questions for you, Matt. Ian, do you have anything else for for Matt? Uh, I think I'm good. I just uh, good. thank you for being here. Hey, it's my yeah. pleasure. It's been so much fun. Um, and and again, um, if you guys need me for anything else, just let me know, and I'll I'll try to make myself available. Yeah, we'll probably Sounds have you back good. to talk about uh, that Twitch plugin that you're looking to make. And sure, I look forward. Sure. To it. That, that, that's going to be a lot of fun. Thanks for coming on, Matt. We appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much, guys. Thank you for listening to the Player 2 Podcast with Sean and Ian. You can find us on Twitch, Twitter, and Instagram at RNG Streams to keep up to date on new episodes, support the show, and submit ideas to discuss on future episodes. Music by Aaron Lennon. Voiceover by Ian Scott. A special thanks to our guests and supporters that make this possible. 